This is Steve Z and the Truth Hurts program. Opinions expressed are protected free speech under the U.S. Constitution. We apologize if you are offended, but we retract nothing. The average human being lives around 22,000 days, according to the Moody Blues song, 22,000 Days. It's not a lot, it's all we've got. 22,000 days. Now that being said, of course, some live longer, some shorter lives, but it's safe to say that we don't remember each and every event of each and every one of those 22,000 or so days. Some memories are vivid, some more hazy, some forgotten altogether. Some of my most vivid memories as a child were watching the Apollo missions on television. There I was, November 14, 1969, a first grader at Gentilly Terrace Elementary School in New Orleans, sitting cross-legged on the floor in the cafeteria in the front row. There it was, a 19-inch television sitting atop a rolling cart with rabbit ear antennas sticking out of the top of the television set with a little aluminum foil on the tips to guarantee a good view. We were tuned into one of the three television stations we had at that time, A distant shot of a giant rocket on one side of the screen, a countdown timer in the lower corner, and a newsman talking about what we should expect. In the background, you could hear the radio vocal feed of communications amongst the launch personnel. We were all so excited. We had learned all about rockets in space from our teacher the entire week leading up to the launch. I, at seven years old, was already an expert in the field having drawn several dozen rockets and spaceships on construction paper with my eight-count Crayola crayons. I had watched all the Buck Rogers shows, Lost in Space, My Favorite Martian, along with so many other movie and television shows about space. Of course, I was a big fan of Star Trek. I knew all the important things, like the Vulcan hand salute, Live Long and Prosper, Danger Will Robinson, and all that other technical stuff that any first grader should know. We watched in amazement as actual human beings were getting ready to be launched into space. Real outer space. Space, the final frontier. Okay, the countdown was especially exciting. I can still see my face grinning from ear to ear as we all shouted, 10, 9, Eight, oh, the excitement. Seven, six, five, louder and louder as if the astronauts could actually hear us. Four, three, two, one, liftoff. We have liftoff. The Apollo 12 mission is a go. I sat there staring at the screen, daring not to blink as the rocket climbed higher and higher, as it became a little white streak and then a blur. As my classmates and teachers cheered, I think I saw a tear in Mrs. Chrysler's eyes as she grinned. The high-five had not yet been invented, but I am certain that if it had, I would have been high-fiving the hell out of everyone around me. This was actually happening. We were putting men into space and onto the moon. Over the years, the space geek in me continued to be intrigued by my space travel fantasies, both cinematic and real. I watched every launch. I watched every episode of Star Trek and Star Wars, 
I watched The Blob and every other space thing you could watch. I also remember watching in horror the day the Challenger space shuttle exploded. I was sitting in my office when it happened and I remember the shock, the total disbelief of that occurrence. And when the second one blew up, it was just as heartbreaking. Anyway, I spent the better part of today with one eye on my computer working and the other eye on the Discovery Channel in anticipation of the first private company SpaceX-NASA partnership, the launch of the Falcon rocket with the Dragon module, with as much giddiness as that seven-year-old version of myself way back in 1969. I watched the interviews of the two astronauts. I watched the loading of the astronauts, then the loading of the fuel. I watched interviews of their two astronaut wives. I watched interviews with former astronauts like Mike Massimino of Space Shuttle and Big Bang Theory fame. I watched a Zoom video conference of first grade students asking live questions of the astronauts, feeling a little bit envious of their being able to ask questions on live television. If we only had that capability back in 1969. I live near New Orleans, where NASA has had the Michoud fuel tank production facility for decades. You know, those massive fuel tanks that were used on the space shuttle missions, as well as multiple other types of rockets over the years. And just down Interstate 10 is the John Stennis Space Center in Mississippi, where the actual rockets are tested for boost, endurance, and God knows how many other factors. I actually know people who work for NASA, their contractors and their subcontractors. Though I never followed the dream to participate in the space program, I'm a part of it, damn it. I drew rockets in first grade for Pete's sake. So here I am, excited for this return of the United States to the space program, which was largely vacated over the previous nine years. I'm intrigued by the new branch of the military, the U.S. Space Force, which adds outer space to America's arsenal, to its ocean fleet in the Navy, its inner space fleet of the Air Force, its ground forces from the Army and the Marines, and the coastal support of the Coast Guard. So here I am, hoping that I'd be doing today's program on the excitement of this new era in space travel, where we send two astronauts on a private-public partnership, restarting the space race hoping to report on the new features and the excitement of this partnership and thinking about the future of space exploration with renewed vigor. And then I got the news. As with any NASA mission, there's a potential for delay and delay we have. Safety is critical, not to mention the billions of dollars it costs to put one of these things in space. It appears all mission-critical systems are go. However, Mother Nature had other plans. So we'll have to wait until Saturday, May 30th, to see if the next attempt will be a go or a no-go. This is just like the Discovery Channel. Think about it. Watch 30 minutes to find out if there's a Bigfoot, or an hour to see if there's a Loch Ness Monster. Ah, we didn't see one today, but tune in again next time. Maybe, just maybe. Anyway, stand by, space fans. The truth is out there. If you stop and think about everything happening here in the good old U.S. of A., you might believe that there are only two sides to every story. Actually, there are many more sides. 
At last count, there were over 327 million sides to our American story. On this program, we'll take a look at different stories from a different point of view. Mine. Hopefully, after listening, absorbing, and actually thinking about what you hear, it might just become your point of view as well. I'm Steve, and this is The Truth Hurts.